The battle of wizards and warriors continues with iron swords. The evil wizard Malkil will take the shape of the earth, wind, water, and fire. Farewell! The fate of the world is in your hands! You're listening to the Piercing Wizard Podcast, and I'm your host, Ryan Willett. I'm a professional body piercer with 20 years experience, I travel around the world teaching technique and safety classes, and I'm a member of the Association of Professional Piercers. Listen in as I talk to my friends and colleagues about our industry so we can all stay sharp. Hey everybody, how you doing? Thanks for tuning in to another episode. I always appreciate it when you give it a listen. My guest this week is Brian Skelly, uh, former APP president. Uh, He's incoming to another position on the board as the medical director shortly. And he's kind of like um, a human encyclopedia when it comes to anything like sterilizers or body jewelry materials. I I don't think that there are many people who are going to uh, match or surpass his knowledge on, on some of those subjects. One of the the main things we'll be talking about are statum sterilizers. Uh, I I totally love them. If you're not familiar with them, a statum sterilizer is a a cassette autoclave. You can pop some stuff in the cassette, run the unit, and you can have sterilized material in as little as eight minutes. So it's really uh, flipped the the body piercing industry on its head. I can't even imagine operating my piercing business day to day without a statum. It's an integral part of my studio. And, um, you know, pretty much everything I know about it, I, I learned through Brian Skelly. We've uh, met up at lots of different conferences around the world. We've shared hotel rooms. We've shared classrooms. Uh, Really interesting guy, and I really like this conversation. So let's get into the interview this week with Brian Skelly. My name is Brian Skelly. I am a longtime piercer from Atlanta, Georgia. I now live in Toulouse, France, with my lovely family, and run a educational and technology and technique business, basically. Uh, Sell equipment and help people use it to make their processes more efficient in the piercing world and help lots of piercers learn. And you're the world's smartest piercer. Probably not. (laughs) I I would say that I like to put myself in rooms where I'm definitely not the smartest person in the room and get far, far out of my depth yeah. because it's challenging and fun. That's why I did the ASTM mm-hmm. thing. That's I would imagine that, yeah, but I feel like when, when you're at piercing events, you're you're probably like the, you know, a little bit higher up there in uh, percentile. Well, I think if you think of yourself as better than or less than anybody, you're going to lose something. Yeah. I, yeah. I always find people to have really good conversations with and mm-hmm. I think of those people as peers and so if people want to have a good conversation that's awesome yeah i'll feel good about it and i find people come up with really brilliant ideas sometimes they they may not feel like they're the smartest person in the room either Mm -hmm. but uh, i don't know people have so many opportunities to shine with their intellect yeah the best possible thing you can do is interact with others Mm -hmm. yeah and i think a lot of people take the information that they get from you and apply it in really interesting ways. So I've seen a lot of people do really innovative stuff with um, the way they pierce. Like I think the the whole catalyst for the whole like palming your jewelry and a lot of the freehand piercing and a lot of that stuff was from you kind of exposing the piercing industry to things like statums and, and stuff like that. And it really just kind of like opened up the door for people to experiment with the way they apply their craft. And um, I think I think it's had a pretty big impact. I know it had a big impact impact on me when I got my first statum. Uh, it changed a lot of things, you know, because it wasn't having drawers and drawers and cabinets like packed full of, of sterilized material. It was just like, grab what you need, use it, you know, pop on some sterile gloves, kind of hold it and just go to town. I like the the concept that I'm trying to move the piercing business more to the front of the house mm-hmm. and out of the back of the house. Right. Uh, you know, the front of the house to me is is the interaction with the client mm-hmm. and that includes the piercing room. So when we go to do a procedure that's still... You know, not scrubbing tools, staying in the back, wearing right. a smock and mm-hmm. breathing chemicals and, and, you know, hey, you might have a great time, might zen out, you mm-hmm. might listen to music, you might enjoy it. I mean, I, I actually had fun coming up with these neat processes to get things as clean as possible. I am not shocked by that at all. Inspect them and all that. <laughs> but that's a lot more work than yeah, you know, yeah. being in front and hanging out with the clients and coming up with something right. cool to do. And making money, which is nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, if you're in, in front of your clients, they're more likely to spend it than if you're mm-hmm. in the back and they're waiting for you. Yeah. So how long have you been piercing? 
I started piercing myself in the late 80s, mm-hmm. mostly from the same sort of inspiration lots of people had, which was National Geographic, Smithsonian, etc., where I saw these wonderful, intense rites of passage experiences, and in, well, in my young culture experience, I didn't have a bar mitzvah or mm-hmm. a, rites of pa- a rite of passage for me, yeah. so I figured, well, why don't I try some of these things? They're pretty cool, and so yeah. I tried pretty innocent experiences and at the end of it I thought well of all the different choices that I could do for sort of a a reminder of these rites of passage piercing would be more controllable in Mm -hmm. terms of getting uh, something safe that didn't result in something that could be traumatic or horribly scarring so I pierced myself put some jewelry in it was pretty cool nobody saw it Mm -hmm. I kept it for myself for a number of months and then I healed it and felt comfortable doing more mm-hmm. and I sort of had a playlist in mind of how it was going to go and I did one after another and it worked out and then I figured out well I'm going to need help to do this and mm-hmm. I found some friends who were willing to help um, and kept looking to see if I could find a studio that would do something uh, safely for me or if I could find piercers that were conscientious and could act with and I found a few mm-hmm. uh, I mean I I met uh, through the music business. Um, at the time, I worked in a Criminal Records, which was a really wonderful record store. Um, actually, the fellow who started it started at a very young age. He got his business license pretty much as soon as he turned 18. Mm-hmm. Um, Eric Levin was a good inspiration for me because he showed me, you know, you could be young, have a business, be successful, you know, employ people, have a good time at the yeah, same time. Yeah, still have fun. Yeah, yeah, and do something you love. Yeah. I was like, wow, well, I love this, and I love helping you. But I love piercing too. Right. And so meeting all these pierced people in the music business was a great way to talk about it. And I found out who was piercing where. And I, okay, well, I'm going to go and visit Primeval Body. And I'm going to go visit Dauntlet. I'm going to go visit Venus. And I'm going to go visit here and there and everywhere. And then, of course, uh, for example, the Jenna torturers come through town. And Jen is going to pierce people. And I'm like, oh, well, that might be kind of fun. And uh, at that point, I'd had, uh, you know, a number of piercings I'd done myself and some that other people had helped me. You know, I couldn't I couldn't aim well enough in the mirror to do a tragus piercing for myself. So yeah, I tried that too. Didn't work. Can you just finish? Okay, I'll get the jewelry in. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, the... Uh, you know, having Jen come through town, and she had learned a lot of her technique from Jack Young. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, well, you know, I've heard that name before, because I picked up the old body art magazine that he had been interviewed in, which was uh, 1987 or 88, mm-hmm. just before Modern Primitives had been uh, released. And I was like, oh, well, what's he doing? You know, he had retired to Florida, and he was over here near a university that I had applied to. I was like, oh, well, I think that's going to be my first choice. Yeah. <laughs> so instead of Swarthmore or Rice or somewhere else, I ended up at New College of USF, uh, which was an uh, individual college, but it was part of the University System of Florida at one point. Pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Right on the uh, grounds of the John and Mabel Ringling Mansion. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of a confluence of all these different things that were in my life. I really loved the carnival arts and circus and acrobacy and... Um, contortionism and all that sort of stuff, even though I physically couldn't do a lot of that stuff. Mm-hmm. I thought it was neat. Um, and at the same time, you know, it has this historical aspect. There's an enormous, I don't know, maybe eight or nine foot tall uh, photo uh, poster of Rasmus Nielsen, mm-hmm. the circus strongman with yeah. the enormous nipple piercings. Yeah. Uh, and at the time I made it down there, I'd already enlarged my nipple piercings. And uh, I met Jack uh, through knowing that he was running Silver Anchor, he had bankrolled it, and mm-hmm. I went there, and I met Mike Natali, who was his uh, main apprentice. And Mike was like, oh, well, you want information? Check out our library. And there was, like, every single body art-related anything. Cool. Anthropological, fetish, what have you. And I was wow. like, awesome, I'll be right back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Can I make photocopies? <laughs> and, well, most of it I just sat there and read mm-hmm. uh, or got my own copies. But, you know, eventually Jack came around after, you know, he was off touring in Copenhagen or whatever, came back. And, uh, you know, after interacting with him a little bit, he, his, his statement was, you're as crazy as I am. <laughs> I was like, well, I'll take that as a compliment. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah, he, he was just this uh, very avuncular sort of fellow who, if you look at pictures of him, he's just, you know, like really soft-spoken and fuzzy and weird and no way creepy. Just all of a sudden, you talk to him about piercing and he lights up and he has all this other mod stuff that goes on yeah. and he's you know been hooked up with Dr. Brown the crazy 
doctor who had an interesting reputation in the mod world for being able to do things mm -hmm. that you wouldn't be able to get otherwise because right. he could do it in his little clinic in Tijuana or what have you. Um, but also had a really bad reputation because he was doing you know, sex reassignment surgery with his own technique that he'd come up with, which evidently wasn't, uh, um, well... Super on, above board? super great. Yeah. Yeah. So he had, uh, in any case, the, the Jack had some really interesting ideas, and uh, we interchanged a bunch. I've kept bringing friends who wanted to get pierced to, you know, have my hand held and make sure I didn't mess things up. Mm -hmm. Um first ampling in Apodravia and all that sort of stuff and uh, then you know it was just mostly social interacting and visiting and going and I still tried to stay involved in the music scene as much as I could because I love going to concerts as often as possible and still enjoyed doing weird stage performances with the impotency snakes and things like that <laughs> um, <clears throat> then I left the school I was at I had a really disagreeable experience with the advisor who was my sculpture professor and supposedly one of the most liberal people in the school but he decided that piercing was not cool oh and i'd been piercing my friends and friends of friends and got right out to the third circle of friends of friends friends and it was getting to the point where it was a lot of people i pierced and, and it caused was friction a, with he, the advisor it was not his cup of tea and he yeah. made it his efforts towards trying to make it not comfortable for me to be there okay like paperwork disappear mm. i turn in a project and then it was just automatically not okay and yeah basically it was going to make me uh, have a lot more hassle at school i went through a rigmarole find a new professor to advise me etc etc it was okay at great friends at that school that i really enjoyed being with that i'm friends with to this day but i couldn't stay there and, and yeah. feel like I was in a hostile environment. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, I had an opportunity to open a studio. Yeah. And uh, So was that when you, in, in Atlanta? In Atlanta, so yeah. So when, I've been in Florida. Okay. To Sarasota. Yeah. And uh, Jack was living in Zephyr Hills, which mm -hmm. was just uh, near Crystal Springs where they have a water source and, I don't know, there's uh, sort of in between Tampa and Orlando. And he was getting tattooed by the crazy fun tattoo artists over there and, and buddies with Sailor Sid and they put together the Silver Anchor Jewelry Company and once that kind of unraveled a bit he uh, started another jewelry company with Michael the uh, his apprentice uh, Bravo and those were my favorite jewelry companies because I could go there and they'd teach me how to anodize which now I get to teach people how to anodize uh, get to you know watch them polish things and like bend these enormous bars of metal that you know crazy i mean i i found jewelry in my box of uh like mementos uh, the other day after the camp app i went to my folks house and had uh, some boxes in their attic and visited the family and uh, opened it up and i look and i see some jewelry from 1992 that was just as shiny as the day i bought it yeah and you know it was a good experience remembering and uh, jack had passed away in 96 and uh, he uh had uh, made sure I ended up with some of his jewelry. So mm. I had some of his ear jewelry, and I was well, looking at it and being a little bit uh, misty. But yeah. it was it was a cool experience. He was one of those people where, you know, anytime he was going somewhere, he'd uh, mention, you know, oh, hey, well, I'll be in New York, or you're going to be in New York anytime soon? I'm like, I'll be in New York. Yeah, I'll come to New York right now. <laughs> right, right. And, you know, he's doing a, a inside-out reverse Prince Albert with one hand mm. and showing me how you can do it like this and see you just pierced him. Okay, well, that's very interesting. Hmm. Now, how, okay, explain to me how that works. I mean, I can see that. It's like a nice little magic trick, but wow, okay. Yeah. He would come up with these, these interesting procedures, and that was sort of our fun interaction was uh, nerding out on how to make things easier. Yeah. And it wasn't the, like, look, I can do it one-handed. Mm -hmm. It was like, wow, look, with this, you're going to hold it like this. Yeah. And you can do the same motion with that, and it's all done. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, wow, this is simplification. It's not like, wow, look at me, I can do this. Yeah, it's not showing off, it's just efficiency. Right, and for me, I starting a studio as a young person, and I well, got my business license when I was 18, and you know, opened my doors with just a few hundred dollars worth of jewelry, and you know, bit by bit, and my little, at the time we had these uh, you know, binders, with uh, pages that were like coin collectors' pages, mm -hmm. and little pieces of jewelry in each little thing. Yeah, I had one little binder of jewelry, and you know, it was enough to get going. But uh, 
didn't realize how quickly it would spiral. Mm -hmm. I knew that once I'd got to the friends of friends, friends. Yeah, it starts to snowball. To and, and, yeah. You know, but, you know, I would come to the studio and there would be a line and I'd pierce all day long. And then I had to bring some of my friends in who had started pierce as well. And it very quickly became, you know, oh, we need a bigger space, mm -hmm. a bigger space. Well, you know, tattoo artists are awesome, but we need a space for our own. Right. And, uh, you know, there we went. Yeah. The first place I had was a retail location and uh, had been a sculpture studio before. Second space I shared with some awesome tattoo artists, a fellow who did the hand piece that did mine, Tony mm -hmm. Levis, and uh, a bunch of my friends who had gotten to go start tattoo, got their start tattooing with him. And uh, that was enjoyable, but uh, having my own place uh, by 94 was uh, my own like by itself. Right, standalone stand piercing shop. Nobody else yeah. bothering me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I brought all my friends who were piercing as many as I could to come visit. Mm -hmm. um, and bit by bit, we came up with new ideas. And I think I had been trying to get one of those fancy statums for a couple of years. Because yeah. at first I, I said, oh, sterilizer, it's, you know, so fast, it's not possible. They're, so how did you first get exposed to the statum? Uh, you know... It was a, a dentist thing. The 1989 was about when uh, the global AIDS crisis was coming about. And people were mm -hmm. starting to wash their hands and wear gloves. Yeah. And they were wearing gloves for their protection at that point because they were concerned. Um, and I noticed that all of a sudden all the dentists were getting these fast sterilizers, which were also delicate for their hand pieces because mm -hmm. the, you know, the little things with turbines that they yeah. clean with. Before, they just would wipe them off with a disinfectant and maybe soak them in something, and that wasn't actually killing things. And, well, at this point, they nobody really thought that blood was so dangerous that it could really kill you. you yeah. Know, they thought, well, I'll just get You wipe it off to the point it. where you can't see it, and then it's fine. Right, yeah. right, right. So that was just that one disease where it had the stigma of if you got it, you were going to die, and mm -hmm. plus, if you got it, you must have gotten it from something, you know, nefarious. Right. But then they found out you could get it through dental, and mm -hmm. all of a sudden everybody got fast sterilizers. Yeah. Because they weren't going to buy thousands, thousands of dollars worth of these devices. Um, yeah. It was a neat idea, but I thought it was hokum pokum at first. I thought it was just... Um, Some sort of a gimmick. Well, yeah, like yeah. It, it couldn't possibly work that fast, and then, you know... I, did some research and I found out how it had validated and the independent studies that had been done on it and yeah okay so now I want one mm -hmm. <laughs> I think well this will be great because you know I have all my other stuff packaged I can just sterilize jewelry from the display case you know some gold stuff and things like that and then you know maybe a week into using it I was like oh well I don't have that so I'm I'll just sterilize everything together and then that was like the day mm -hmm. after that like all my packages sort of disappeared yeah we just keep maybe one or two things package but emergency uh, items I got my first atom from uh, my autoclave engineer my autoclave repair person who would come around and help me with my other sterilizers mm -hmm. he knew I had wanted one and the company he worked for had uh, you know a loaner unit that they had been I guess they'd run it ragged with the dentist and he was like well here you go if you can fix it you can have it hmm. I was like oh all right well and I you know made it worth his while and paid him uh, what it was worth uh, for a broken <laughs> But still, okay, and I, I got it working, and uh, after nerding out on it and enjoying it so much, uh, I introduced a number of my colleagues to it, and they thought it was great, but their dental uh, dealers were charging, you know... An arm and a leg, I imagine. Yeah, yeah. Full, full medical retail prices for these things, mm -hmm. which was more than they could conceive of playing, and there weren't very many refurbished at that point, because there were... There weren't enough out in the world, probably. Yeah. yeah. And I actually talked to the same fella and I said, you know, I've got more people who want these. Mm -hmm. Can we work something out? And he connected me with the sales folks from the, uh, I guess the regional sales director for, for Psycan. Mm -hmm. And we had a conversation and I guess I nerded out enough that they were like, oh, okay, you're not making this up. You yeah. know, maybe you could help move some of these. Mm -hmm. I helped get a bunch of people some neat sterilizers and helped come up with some neat ways to use them. So does Sycan like totally love you at this point? Because I, I, you know, maybe you're not single-handedly responsible for like how, how many piercers use them, but I, I don't think most piercers would have ever been exposed to it or learned as much as they know about them now if it wasn't for you and your research and like the way you, you kind of 
promote them? Well, I've definitely been an enthusiastic, uh, you know, promoter of the idea of sterilizing what you need when you need it, yeah. and uh, you know, also not having packages laying around. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, for who knows how long. Tons of storage issues for preservation for packages, and uh, you know, there were people who uh, their their regulations were that they had to re-sterilize every so odd. Mm-hmm. If you have enough stock, well, you're going to end up sterilizing that thing over yeah. and over again mm-hmm. uh, because you never use it before the expiration. Well, I really enjoyed interacting with the folks from SICAN, particularly the um, the original uh, family that ran it, those Wingenbergers. I met the son, and he was very open-minded, mm-hmm. Andrew, and he, they, they actually came and did a tattoo convention with me, mm-hmm. he and a team of people, and uh, they thought it was neat, and that they said, well, we can, you know, open it up. They, they didn't really ever advertise to tattoo and piercing. But yeah. They basically said, look, if you want to deal with tattoo and piercing, don't sell to dentists, don't sell to medicine. The dental dealers and the medical dealers shouldn't be selling to tattooers and piercers. They don't know what you guys do. Yeah. Um, you've got the background. Why don't you try that? And uh, as an independent person, just, you know, I had access. I tried to help get these things going. Mm. And, um, you know, I think people would have stumbled upon it on their own but maybe they wouldn't have. I think maybe enjoyed. some, but you know, I, I I think a lot of piercers just fall back on what's already available and what's already out there. What's what what are their tattoo and piercing medical supply companies sell? I don't think a lot of people would step back that far and think like, okay, this Canadian manufacturer is making this sterilizer kind of marketed to dental offices, and I know it would be great for for our industry. Right. But yeah, I, I don't think without the exposure that that you've given it, as many people would have them, even half. Yeah, well, I think I, I started nerding out on sterilization in general because I, I realized that there was this, uh, this probability aspect to it where you know people are like, oh, that's overkill. Well, you know, technically sterilization is either overkill or you have to actually test to see what organisms are on the mm-hmm. surface, and address those with something that kills them adequately. Yeah. You know, some bugs you can kill with alcohol. You don't need to put in an autoclave mm-hmm. if you knew that only that little germ was on it. Yeah don't need the overkill. For me, it's like, I don't really see it as overkill. I just see it as like, it's really, it's all you need. You know, it's just boop, you know, press the start button and then you don't have to worry about it. It comes out, it's dry. You know that every little bit inside and outside is sterilized. And it's great because you can basically just do a little setup, you know, your whatever jewelry you need, whatever tools, needles, instruments, extra little bits and bobs and all that. And so it's really convenient because, uh, it got to be kind of a hassle having setting up a tray and then opening up ten different packages. Mm-hmm. If you had like a complex, you know, a right. gem end and a taper and a receiving tube and your jewelry and your needle and, and all these different things, Do where that. you can just like throw it in a cassette and boop. Yeah, well, that sort of was an inspiration for me to work towards lighter weight, uh, faster sterilizing, and you know, things that would cool down quicker. So mm-hmm. I didn't have to use a lot of ring expanders. I moved towards jewelry that was easier to take apart, you know, more yeah. annealed things, mm-hmm. more uh, screw-together things, snap-together t- jewelry that was uh, easier to deal with. Um, and I got to the point where, you know, I realized, okay, so there's this there's probability with sterilization that's interesting because we, we try to assume that there's a certain amount of uh, contamination on something that's going to be there even if you clean it very well. Mm-hmm. And then you go to the Six Sigma, but beyond that, the, the spore test that we use, the Bacillus serophthalmophilus, the, uh, well, Geobacillus serophthalmophilus, the little stuff that's on the little glassine envelopes or in the little ampules, that is usually a sample of a million bugs. Mm-hmm. And if your sterilizer can kill that million bugs halfway through the cycle, like if you stop the cycle halfway through and that test is dead, uh, then you can be relatively confident that the extended cycle will kill the rest. Yeah, um, but that's a that's a million to one germ reduction, which is pretty cool. So you, you can you know actually grow uh, samples from the same batch and see if that batch was alive, and then you can prove that well this batch was alive, and now I've killed it. So that's that's a good nice thing. We, in Europe, they don't require it. They mostly just test the parameters. They know that, or they do like the helix test or something. Right, just to make sure there's steam penetration. Right, right, right. They're they're more concerned uh, with. Removal of air, the the basic parameters of steam, you know, the pressure, the temperature, the time, and the air removal all together so that the steam gets to all the surfaces uh, are what they test for mm-hmm. more. They don't require you to do the biological testing. I like the biological test too, simply because it, it actually has a, you know, I, I killed something. Yeah. It worked. Um, 
But you know, the, the cool thing is that some of the stronger autoclaves uh, go farther than that. They mm-hmm. go a trillion to one germ reduction. So really, the, the little spore test is dead before the cycle even starts, hardly. So mm-hmm. um, I just like the idea of if we're going to have this probability of something might be left over, I want to have way, way beyond you know, yeah. a billion to one, a trillion to one chance. It helps remove operator survive. error because like, you know, maybe if you miss something, the machine is going to catch mm-hmm. it for you. Right, mm-hmm. right. So that's the whole like concept of overkill that is the useful overkill rather yeah. than the like I open too many things or know mm-hmm. what I'm going to do with all this pile of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's also really handy to know that if I'm ever at like a, a conference somewhere out in the world and you're there, it's like, well, no, I'll be able to sterilize something because you basically right. travel with the statum at this point. Big <laughs> yeah. grief. The statum to the uh, Camp APP. <laughs> My luggage was exciting. That seemed a little brutal. Statum in the mud. Woohoo. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Actually, it, it, it uh, made it pretty well and it still works, so that's good. Yeah. Um, so yeah. how, did, how did you go from uh, owning a studio in Atlanta to moving to France? What was that like transition? So um, having owned a studio for a long time and had a lot of guest piercers and a lot of friends in uh, other places where I've gone to visit, uh, one of my friends, Mariana Huertas Riera, who lives in uh, Bilbao and has a studio called Ozono, uh, she had a uh, mutual friend of ours uh, came to visit at the APP conference in 2004. We met and then uh, my, my lovely wife, Sandrine, and we met it off. We stayed friends and then eventually got together, got married, and uh, decided we'd uh, try, try the U.S. for a while, mm-hmm. and then after being in the U.S. for a while, we're going to try France. Mm. Actually, we moved to Barcelona too because we really, really like Barcelona. But uh, the change in culture was interesting to me. Uh, learning French and working on my Spanish, and working on you know learning, learning more about uh, where she came from. And you know, she came out of uh, body art also. She had studios and she had uh, jewelry companies and all that sort of stuff. Um, she basically stepped away from it at the time, and uh, in our interactions, uh, we moved through a lot of different interests, mutual interest, art and body art and music and uh, making things. Mm-hmm. We're both, you know, uh, idle hands, you know, we yeah. Like to yeah. do things all the time. With, uh, and moving to France was uh, an opportunity to basically have a, a family and not necessarily lay down roots where we are now because I, I like Toulouse, it's very nice, but we have so many other uh, ideas for what we'd like to do. Yeah, uh, yeah. And of course, my uh, I had an apprentice who uh, did very well, Christina Blasi, and mm-hmm. she's taken over piercing experience and done very well with it. I was really impressed with what she did when I visited just recently for the Camp APP. And, uh, so knowing that things are still going well and the, the philosophy of things are still uh, that I set into motion is uh, still helpful and useful and mm-hmm. um, I still am excited about uh, interacting with piercers constantly. I think stepping back from the day-to-day piercing aspect of it and talking with piercers about their work and their gaps and understanding and helping fill in the blanks for uh, what they're curious about rather than pushing like... Uh, uh, an agenda just saying okay here's a menu of all the cool things we can talk about mm-hmm. if you're interested in this I'm going to do a, a workshop on it here if you're interested in this there's a blog article about it maybe we'll meet at the camp and talk what have you there are so many different options uh, I think to be an interesting person you have to be interested in things yeah and um, I guess I try to make it clear these are the things that I like it seems like you're interested it. in everything at points because when it comes to piercing especially, you're kind of like like the human Wikipedia. I think if anybody has a question about anything, and even if it's people who are like very well experienced and pretty high up in the industry, you know, other members of like the APP board, if there's ever a question and they can't answer it, it's always like, you should talk to Brian Skelly about that. You know, whether it's a, a disinfectant or something jewelry related or like a freehand technique or a sterilizer or something like that. Um, it, it's always like, oh yeah. Brian, he's probably got like a, a, a blog entry about it or something in like a, a forum or he's taught a class on it or something. So um, it's even from an outside perspective, it seems kind of overwhelming all the different things that you've become like really well versed in. 
Well, I wear a lot of different hats, mm -hmm. but I guess the, the main issue is really all related to the quality of the experience. Mm -hmm. And I think the quality of the experience is, is equally important for the client and the worker. And uh, so it's exciting to me to interact with piercers who are doing lots of work or piercers who are slow and have time to be creative and mm -hmm. come up with neat ideas or you know sit around and anodize something really weird looking mm -hmm. or really absolutely astonishingly beautiful. It, they, I just, I'm so interested in what my colleagues are doing in terms of uh, how they think about making piercing fun. It's really that. That's always my answer. And why do you do this? Yeah. Two words for fun. Mm -hmm. And you can really embellish that however you like. But every day I worked in my studio or any day I walk into anyone else's studio that I'm trying to help, the, the most important thing for me is just to enjoy the experience and, and make it as pleasurable for me as possible so I can laugh and, and have, uh, you know, maybe a new friend, maybe, uh, you know, sell something cool, maybe get something new for myself. Um, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not the kind of person where I'll do the same thing every day. Yeah. If I have a task that's repetitive, repetitive I'm going to try to approach it from as many different angles as possible just to see if maybe if I try this left-handed it'll work better or maybe I need to turn around and stand on the other side or yeah. something like that or that makes sense with a lot of the different techniques I've seen you go over over the years because sometimes you think about it and it's like well that seems so natural and intuitive but nobody's really discussed it yet you know and then people will take some of the ideas that they maybe see you do and they'll put their own spin on it and then that turns into some weird crazy technique where it's like wow I never would have thought of that either, but you're using you're using all the different elements that are already out there, and you're just applying them in a different way, and uh, it's it's really interesting to see that. I, I think it's been a big catalyst over the last probably five to ten years, uh, and it all kind of ties together to the same theory of like make it easy, but make it better uh, at the same time. So you know. The statum can make the sterilization easier, and then the freehand techniques can make the piercing easier, and then you know, jewelry and threadless and connector pins and all these different things. Sure. Um, so it all it all makes sense, and you can kind of trace it all back uh, to like this, these same kind of conversations, and a lot of it traces back to to you, really. Well, I, I guess I guess you know, philosophically, I really like this idea in terms of you know have a great experience during the, the day and then go home when you're done. Yeah. You know, not, I don't want to have to wash up. Mm -hmm. you know, I'll, I'll, you know, sweep them off the floor, etc. But, you know, I don't want a pile of things. Yeah. To have to you don't want to have to wait an hour or two because you have to process everything. Right. Paperwork's yeah. bad enough. Mm -hmm. um, you know, documentation in the piercing world is exciting. Mm -hmm. Certainly not my favorite thing. Yeah. Um, as far as all of the the day-to-day -day interactions, Trying to make the the actions that I do more enjoyable, I guess for me, part of the the elective constraint that I put myself in originally was that I was going to try to work in the the sense of parsimony, you know, like the least amount of mess that I can make. Mm -hmm. Can I do this with less glove changes? Can I do this with less packaging? Can I do this with uh, you know less chemicals? Like maybe I can use a smaller work surface. Maybe. Uh, you know, I don't need this giant plastic drape over my thing and I can use something else and clean it up differently. Just going through and thinking up systems for things, you know, I, I look at my studio in terms of circuits that go through it. You know, this is going to flow in here, it's going to go over here, and it's either going to go well like this, or maybe there's, you know, a bunch of other ways it could go well, but thinking through all these different options, uh, deciding what's going to go well today and uh, as far as human experience people are going to bring you curveballs people are going to give you weird experiences you're going to have a piece of joy that's impractical to screw on you know and you sit there and drop it and wiggle around for you know an hour before it goes magically in place like, yeah if yeah. you had just done this way one second mm -hmm. if you just remembered you could have just turned it backwards and then turned it forwards oh hey i've been messing around for an hour and that's all it took mm -hmm. <sighs> you know there's always that something yeah um, and you know for me you know, like for example having a statum where i have all my little extra little trinkets and yeah. stuff mm -hmm. in there in case i need it you know yeah. i don't have to go and open the cabinet and open a package and yeah. you know do all these extra glove changes and everything yeah. yeah it's just there I have my little toolbox if yeah. I need it I got it convenient yeah 
So when you had piercing experience before, mm -hmm. so okay, well, to bring it back even a little bit further, um, at, at what point did you did you hook up with Christina Blasi and have her start working in the studio? Because how was that transition from uh, her? Did, did you apprentice her from the start, yeah. or did she already have some piercing experience before she, she started been. at the piercing experience? She had been pierced. Okay, she had several piercings, and mm -hmm. they were they were, you know. Piercings that she came in for just jewelry change. Yeah, she just want this and that, and we got her some neat stuff, and mm -hmm. she liked it, and she came back, and we talked, and um, you know, we had a rapport going back and forth. Uh, eventually, she came and got more piercings, and uh, dug it, and came out, and at some point, uh, right around, oh, I guess it would be seventeen years ago now, about two thousand, um, she had uh, her an opportunity in her her schedule to come and, and start working uh, in the front of the studio mm -hmm. and learning more. And she already came with a, a large amount of, of comprehension of what went into it yeah. because she had She just needed the experience to apply it, basically. Right, yeah. right. Well, she had really well, seemed to really well research before she got Pierce to make sure she understood what was mm -hmm. going into it. Yeah, she seems like a very, like, analytical thinker. Yeah, well, it gets into the mechanical engineering section of her, her yeah. education. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we, we, we grokked a, a lot of good subjects, and she and a few other uh, of our, my colleagues wanted to learn at the same time, mm -hmm. and w which I thought was fabulous because they could pierce each other. They made a list, you know, I accept to get pierced here, 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 and here. Mm -hmm. I don't want to put jewelry in that, but you can pierce it. And then, of course, as revenge, we'll pierce you. Right. <laughs> so Piercing party. Back and forth yeah. practice. Yeah. It was great. So, you know, we had... A good experience going through uh, technique, and she spent a good amount of time learning the fun part. Mm -hmm. You know, all the the things that make wearing the jewelry and being uh, conscientious with clients, and you know, being able to change jewelry carefully, mm -hmm. being able to understand how everything worked before even trying to poke needles. And mm -hmm. then when she did, it was really like, okay, that's how it works. Yep, that's cool. how it works, and this is how I'm going to do it. Yeah. I'm going to try it this way now. Yeah. And, you know, she's progressed and progressed and come up with her own ways of doing things, which is super. So how was it for you, you know, selling selling the business to someone, like selling a business that you created and that you were, like, deeply invested in for years, uh, what was that transition like for you? Was it, was it weird? Was it uncomfortable? Do you feel like it was liberating? Well, you know... It, it lives on, which mm -hmm. is the important part. Yeah. For, for me, I wanted her... Uh, to be able to have a continuance in her career mm -hmm. and for me to have, uh, you know, somewhere to come back to if I ever decided I want to appear some more or, you know, I was busy doing something else, but I could come back and visit my clients, but also to have someone to take care of my long-term relationships with clients who could uh, basically give them a better service than I could. Mm -hmm. you, know, you always want the person you're training to excel and, you know, exceed you. Yeah. And I think she's done a great job with that. And for me, Seeing things work well for her makes me happy and uh, makes me feel more free to put more energy back into making the industry more fun for everyone, you know, because I see her having interactions with colleagues that took so many years to build for me. Mm -hmm. You know, we had little interactions where, you know, you would need to go all the way across the country to be able to visit with someone. I mean, I spent my, uh, the first year of my, uh, uh, my career as a piercer trying to see every studio that I possibly could, traveling all over the place, and then deciding I did not want to paint my studio gray or purple ever. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I found some really great ideas for how I might want to do things and a lot of ideas about how I definitely didn't want to do things. Yeah. Uh, actually, in a nutshell, the main reason I started piercing other than the fact that I thought it would be an intense experience and whatnot, the reason I started piercing other people was that at the time, uh, it, well, if you had a visible piercing, hey, you were a piercer, and maybe you could pierce somebody. So if I saw you with a piercing, I'd be like, oh, hey, where'd you get that? Yeah. Oh, you did it yourself. Can you pierce me? And my answer was no. <laughs> but I had some very close friends who put a lot of confidence in me, and they said, well, I'll wait. You know, you find somebody who, you know, Make sure you do it right, and uh, once you get the hang of it, I'll be your pincushion. Yeah, and uh, that was great because I knew the experience for me was so intense that I would just totally want to share that. I, I was a big uh, 
enthusiast in terms of the that that sensation where your whole limbic system goes in and you're overwhelmed and you know you're you're having the experience of your life the you know it's better than a roller coaster you're yeah. just you're having this this moment and it's repeatable mm-hmm. which is the cool thing with piercing yeah I, I guess this is one of the things people like so much about suspension I haven't been called to do it myself but I have you know helped people and watched them and get you can get the the vibe that wow they're having that you know full yeah body a experience. meaningful deep experience sure sure yeah. even if they're hanging from their butt cheeks so, <laughs> so you know, and not not to disparage the suspension community at all. I think um, you know once you get to a point where you're really enjoying it and you've gotten uh, you've gotten the the spirituality in in set. If you decide you want to hang from something and be a clown about it, then by all means, have a good time, yeah. laugh it off. You yeah, know? yeah. I mean, it's all it's all in good fun. So right. why not have fun with it? Yeah. So uh, yeah, I'm I'm not ready to do the uh, the stellar style uh, suspension with the statums and the anodizers with me in the middle. But mm-hmm. uh, you know, if I ever wake up one day and say today's the day, I, I know whose door to knock on. <laughs> yeah. Who to call? Um, as far as trying to make things more fun for the industry. I like seeing the connections that people are making. Mm-hmm. I like seeing that now people do travel. I mean, we've got, gosh, you know, people who at the last possible moment decided to jump across the water and, and uh, you know, come here. And people who, you know, through, through all sorts of uh, tribulations made it to go to every different possible piercing event that they could go to. I mean, that's, that's pretty neat. I'm yeah. impressed that people are capable of, you know, Writing that enthusiasm and going forward with it. So it's also great seeing that they have so much access to information now, right. because like you, you know, you had to, you had to find that connection of someone who happened to have this big piercing library. You know, when I started, it was like try to find some bits in it, uh, of information online, and sure. maybe I could talk to somebody who had done a piercing once. You know, uh, and now it's like, well, you can go to. APP, UK APP, and BMX, yes. and LBP, and ev- yeah. everywhere, you know, all over the place. You can actually, like, basically tour around just going to different conferences. Pretty much. Yeah, it's pretty It's pretty cool. So what's, what's interesting about all that also is, is that the shift that I've been trying to help move along is the shift from opinions and sort of decrees of this must be this way because mm-hmm. I feel strongly about it yep. uh, towards a graded system of logic and science Mm -hmm. and good studies yeah rather than just saying do this say like you should do this because this is why right or not even you should do this but Mm -hmm. check this out right here's a standard Mm -hmm. which when followed gets a predictable result isn't that cool (laughs) like wow i'm getting these unusual variables that pop up in my experience maybe if i try to follow this standard the variables will be minimized Mm -hmm. or eliminated and and you know, to me, spotting those uh, those dark areas in our business and trying to shine a light on it yeah. without telling people you're doing it wrong or, you know, telling people you have to do this thing and just saying, oh, okay, well, we didn't know very much about jewelry and it really sucked for me when I found out that, uh, uh, for example, the Biomaterials Access Assurance Act was going to make it so that I was personally responsible for the material of my jewelry or in California, Prop 65, you know, now everybody in California is responsible for if there's a teeny trace of cadmium in their, you know, rose gold solder. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, it would suck for me to be able to uh, suffer through the the taking everything out of my display case and losing trust in all of my, my, uh, like, sales. I I thought, wow, I, I knew all about this stuff and I thought it was great. And now... I have to replace it with things that meet the standards, but you don't know what you don't know. So yeah. when you find a new standard, you don't kick yourself. You might mm-hmm. feel a little sheepish. Well, wow, I wish I had known that sooner. I've had a lot of those moments, like mm-hmm. like when I first started going to the APP conference around like 2002. Uh, you know, I, I came home and it was just like I, I'm doing everything wrong. I'm I'm gonna kill all my clients, you know, because of this and because of that, and it it freaked me out. But the more I would go back and I would I would get more and more access to information, the more confident I felt knowing like, okay, I don't have to like panic about certain certain things in my shop. If I see a deficiency, I can increase it and I can improve upon it, but it's not like the end of the world because like maybe I was using like transitional jewelry and right. and stuff like that. Well, yeah. You know, when there's when there's a consensus based scientific standard or a really good strong theoretical rationale that's logical 
it's a lot better than saying, well, so-and-so authority said you must do this. And I think as piercers, we're all in individualists. Most of us don't want to follow and just be led. Most of us don't want to be told what to do. And we want to come up with our own ways to do things. And of course, we take things personally when our way isn't the way that, you know, this organization says, you know, the APP gets the, the, uh, the exclusionary elitist thing from people who don't actually look a little bit deeper and yeah. realize, oh, well, hey, if I open the pamphlet and read the words, these folks are trying to help. Mm-hmm. And they're not trying to tell me I'm doing it wrong. They're trying to welcome me to come and yeah. be a part of this. Yeah. And it, it's not awesome. like, I, you know, conference does cost some, some money to take classes, but the APP isn't trying to say like, all of our information is behind a pay barrier. You know, right. you can go to the website and you can read all those brochures and you can get access to all this information for, for nothing because it's that's the mission statement. It's share information. I'm sorry. The APP is making hand over fist money because you have to pay a whole $25 to get your bloodborne pathogens <laughs> right. uh, certification now with our training program. Yeah. I, I mean, that's facetious. Uh, really, the, the point of our, uh, our online training process is... Uh, for people who can't travel, you know, mm-hmm. the the best thing about our industry right now is that we have this zeitgeist of sharing, mm-hmm. and that thrills me, and that's something that I will continue to be enthusiastic about. And yeah. Every time I meet more people who are hungry for new ideas and are willing to share their opinions, but let their opinions be known as opinions mm-hmm. and not dogma. Yeah. You know, you can have any opinion you want. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. But as long as you're not dogmatic about it and you're willing to discuss it and you know, we can come to some sort of logical conclusion or we can do an experiment. Hey, that idea of yours might be really cool. Let's test it. Let's try some different things. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I see a lot less of people burying their head in the sand and imagining that what they're doing is just fine and not wanting to know. There used to be uh, a lot of that where people were strong. I did that for a little while too because, you know, I I think I came up in the industry of piercers that was like the BME generation. And sure. and BME wasn't adversarial with the APP, but it was really apprehensive of, of the APP. Um, and I remember the first time I went to conference, it was like, okay, these people are just going to be telling me I'm doing everything wrong and they're going to be kind of stuck up about it and all that. And it was totally the opposite. It was like, look, here's all this information. Draw your own conclusion, but it's going to be fairly obvious the way that we present it. And um, it, it just seemed really like welcoming and open and nobody was trying to tell me that I was doing something wrong. They were just saying like, well, this is this is another way that we present it and draw your own conclusions. Sure. And the conclusion I drew was like, okay, I need to get better and these people are going to give me access to the information that will allow me to get better. Right. And, you know, there are certainly still lots of opinions, but the more we base those opinions on information and on empirical testing... And less on opinion. Yeah, I mean, one opinion based on another opinion is a house of cards that mm-hmm. collapses so easily because, you know, once you start digging beneath it, and unfortunately, in, in my experience in our business, when you build things up based on this dogma of, of this must be on top of this, it must be on top of this because of X, Y, and Z, oftentimes the base wasn't stable enough. Yeah. Um, you know, we have a lot of companies who use um, close enough materials that won't make people burst into flames, mm-hmm. but certainly aren't what materials that have been actually tested and proven safe to yeah. be inside the human body. Mm-hmm. I mean, of course, their idea is, well, now they're tested because nobody's died. Mm-hmm. But that's not really, that's not testing. Right. Uh, an ethical way of testing things is, you know, first see what the chemistry is. Now, is there something that's poisonous in there? Okay. Well, going back to that too, I don't, I don't really know... I know a few, but I don't know many other piercers who can even really fully understand all like the ASTM material and really break it down and understand, you know, mill certificates and testing and, and all this different stuff. Like I basically, I default to, uh, okay, Brian says it's good. You know, APP says it's good. Like I'm not like a, a metallurgist or anything like that, See, you know. That's what the standards are for though. Yeah. Like when there's a standard, a visible standard for something, you can say, well... I want ASTM standard for a material that can be in contact with the human body yep. for an extended period of time. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I want titanium because I can make it blue. Um, which titanium can be used? Well, here's 30 different kinds of titanium that can be used in surgical implant applications. Mm-hmm. Which one do I want? I want the one that's easy to bend. Okay, I'll use this version. And it's it's about thinking like categorically, what is it that I want? And getting to a logical end of that, 
for me, I don't want to have to know all of the detailed, you know, microstructure, chemistry, mechanical problems. But I bet you do. I'm fascinated about why yeah. those things are. I don't want to have to memorize all that. I mm-hmm. don't want to have to um, spend my, my brain power on that when I can just say as a shortcut, yeah. if you're interested, here's the name F-136 mm-hmm. for this particular titanium, right. or F-1295. And it, if you look at it, you, you've got a recipe yeah. with not only ingredients, but how you put it together mm-hmm. and how you test to make sure it works. And if you're curious, you can look at the recipe, yeah. but I'm not going to make it. Yeah. I don't have... If you're place. not curious, too, like I, I think people can can hit the, the minimum understanding of the information and know, like, okay, so maybe these 10 materials are are totally acceptable to use in a body piercing. These companies sell these materials, so bam. You know, like, that's that's really as far as I need to go with it. And if I want to go deeper, right. the, the information is out there, and I can go as, as deep as I want. But, you know, not every piercer has to be like the encyclopedia and know like exactly what everything is and how it's made and its chemical composition. Precisely. But but they it, as long as they understand, okay, these are the acceptable ones. These are the ones that maybe aren't ideal and, and this is why. That's really where my information kind of starts and ends. Like, you know, I wouldn't consider myself an expert on any of that stuff. But I, I'm, I'm using the things that I would consider to be like the top of the industry. Uh, but I, I definitely kind of exploit the fact that other people have done all the research for me. But that's that's the way it should be. Yeah. I mean, you know, somebody had to figure out we could use an autoclave to sterilize things. Right. You know, instead of dunking them in, in barber juice yeah. to get the combs clean. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the big deal is that I recognize getting into this business that I was standing on the shoulders of giants and recognizing that those people men and women who were coming before me and working at getting past the dogma and figuring out and testing different methods and figuring out what worked, um, those folks kept doing it. Mm -hmm. Every single person who I knew of who was uh, an early uh, experienced piercer continued to learn and try to do new things because they had to. They were mostly autodidact Mm -hmm. and they would... You know, they'd read through the surgical manual and pick out the three pages that applied to the right. craft. <laughs> I, I remember that era of learning, too, where it was like, okay, uh, I'm going to comb over, like, Gray's Anatomy and pick right. out, you know, put post-it notes on all the little pages that are applicable towards body piercing, or I'm going to track down this information online. And I remember when I when I first started trying to look for different, like, aftercare products and skin prep, I would make, like, a chart, and I'd be like, these are ten different things, these cool. are their pluses and minuses and like then I would break it down to like this one works and and but then I got to go to conference and then people would just have a whole class on it and be like you know what just use this and this is why or these are the these are the things you can use choose the one that's most appropriate for you Um, have all of them on hand in case you want to use this for this area or in case this person's bothered by that yeah and now I'm starting to kind of see that come back around again where a lot of younger piercers are, are, are getting into the industry in an era where they have all that information in front of them and they want to go even deeper. You know, So they yeah. take that information and then they track it down online and they're like, okay, I want to read this testing information. I want to maybe try to find new products that, that kind of fit those parameters. And yeah. it's, it's pretty interesting time to see younger piercers start because they get to start with access to all this information and these materials and jewelry and sterilizers and I, I didn't have that kind of access. So I, I love seeing when people have only been piercing like two or three years and they're like a whiz and they know all these different things and they don't have to spend five years figuring it out. Sure. They can just jump right into it and be like, all right, now how am I going to take these uh, different techniques and stuff and how am I going to evolve that? And I think the industry is getting so much better so much faster because of it. Well, we're, we're in a day and age where you're not stuck with oh my God, where can I even get this thing right. I, I want yeah. or need? It's okay, I can get these 10 different versions of what I need from all these different sources, you know, which is the best one for me. And, you know, heck, some of them leave them to do samples. Yeah, you can try yeah. It. yeah, it's fun. Uh, yeah, so I want to see the next generations of piercers test all of our hypotheses. Mm-hmm. You know, there's needle testing that needs to be done. I mean, there's all these companies that are like, my needle's the sharpest, my needle's got this geometry, et cetera, et cetera. We've got the lowest coefficient of friction with our lubricant. Awesome. Well, you know what? Test it. You can use this penetration force test. Mm-hmm. Set up a media, take them all, have an impartial lab do it. Pop, 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 pop. Oh, wait, this one takes three grams of pressure. This takes five. Well, 
guess what? This mm -hmm. one's actually going through smoother with less force. Mm -hmm. Okay, now we know. Yeah. And then, of course, anybody could adapt their product. I mean, heck, anybody who's making needles can make them more pointed or change the geometry if they feel like it. Yeah. Um, I, I just want to see testing done. Mm -hmm. Like, one of the things I show in my needle class uh, is, like, one of the only histology studies that's ever done to see if ear-piercing guns actually do more damage than ear-piercing with a needle. Yeah. And, uh, wow, you know, I think it's possible for us to repeat that test mm -hmm. with even better techniques and maybe we'll get better results. That's what I like about your, your classes um, because you don't just say like, uh, okay, this works and, and just do it. You, you say like, this works and this is why, look at these tests. And like, you know, you have slides and you have videos and it, it's, it's really visually obvious to people who take the class and they're like, oh yeah, that totally makes sense about, you know, bevel theory and you know, different needles and, and jewelry and, and, you know, surface finish and, you know, anodizing titanium and all sure. these different things. You know, it, it's uh, it's good for visual learners and it's it's good for people who want to, like, read something, too. Well, also, I always like to leave it open so that there's a direction to follow. Like, th this is not the last word in yeah. this subject. This yeah. is a, a taste. Mm -hmm. And here are the recipes you want to go look up mm -hmm. the recipes. Yeah, you go as far down the rabbit hole as you want. Exactly. Yeah, and uh, I, I get a lot of nice commentary. People will ask a lot of good questions, mm -hmm. and sometimes you know, I, I tend to put a lot of information out. And sometimes it takes a good bit of time to digest, and people will pop back and they'll ask questions six months later. Sometimes that changes my whole perspective on things. Yeah, so. I think it's because sometimes your classes are a little complex and it takes people six months to digest it and be like, okay, what did I just learn? Well, I yeah. do totally agree that it's great to take one subject and just look at it from lots of different angles. Yeah. Like your tongue class or Salas Tragus class, I was impressed with both of them in a sense where you just, you look at this from the perspective of an outsider and an insider. Like if I knew nothing about tongue piercing, here's what I would want to know. And apart from that, as a professional, here are the things that I can use from this to address some things that might make this easier or harder and, you know, facilitate my, my job. Yeah. And, and, you know, Sala did a great thing where he just had all of his colleagues send him videos like, how do you do it? Well, how do you do it? Yeah. Okay. I really like that about his class, too, because it wasn't just like, here's how I do it. It's here's how I do it. And here's how, like, 10 of my friends do it, too. Mm -hmm. And they're all, like, totally different. And they're all totally valid. It's, it's really cool to see that. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, so if you uh, if you have the opportunity to to sample and to test, you know you might not have seen that. And and when I got started, you know, going to a piercing studio was such a big deal when they found out you were a piercer. Mm -hmm. Either you had to know somebody, you yeah, know, it had to be your buddy who just opened a studio, or your you know the friend of the friend who would send a recommendations like this guy's not going to try and you know. Snitch on you, you or, or right. steal your ideas or, or yeah. call you a fraud. Because I think that that's one of the, the validations that people have in our business is when they come up with their own ideas, mm -hmm. they don't want someone to, to see through it. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, people, nobody wants to feel like a fraud. And it's hard to come up with your own ideas and, and not seem narcissistic about it. It's great to come up with your own ideas, though, and you should. You simply just don't let it fall into dogma and don't mm -hmm. get argumentative about uh, change. Changes. The way I look at it is like I'm very opinionated and I think that the way that I'm doing it is kind of the best way to do it until right. I see the better way to do it. Right. And I'm totally fine changing my opinion like on the fly and like somebody will show me a technique and I'll be like, oh, okay, well, I'm just going to do it like that for until I find the next step. You know, I don't mm -hmm. want to ever be stuck in my ways to be like, no, 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 my way's better. Mm -hmm. Even though like I can see evidence that it's not, you know, like I, I'm very, very quick to adapt and change. Uh, and I feel like I've been a completely different piercer. Like every maybe two or three years of my career, I, I make these jumps and it's like, I look at myself 10 years ago and it's like, I would I would want to go back in time and like slap myself and be like, hey, you know what? You should have done this and you should have done this and you should have done this because uh, I don't, I don't want to stay kind of stuck in my ways and, and end up being sort of irrelevant because of it. You know, I want to stay on the, the cutting edge, like no pun intended. Uh, and I always want to take Basically, I say that like I steal the best ideas from everyone I know. Well, they're they're ideas that yeah. You know, the old saying is, if I have an idea and I give you an idea, I still have an idea. Right. If I have a penny and I give you a penny, well, you're a penny richer and I'm a penny poorer. Mm -hmm. But the thing with ideas is they amplify one another. Yeah. And as long as you're not narcissistic about it and saying my idea is the best and the only, and I am not going to mm -hmm. pay attention to yours, I, I think it's a really great perspective to take. Not that you're stealing, but you're 
combing and trying to find the cream of the crop. Yeah. You know, you're, you're looking yeah. and you're saying, well, that probably won't work for me because I'm not going to stand in that position or hold my hands. Mm-hmm. My back's going to be sore. You know, I don't want to sit on a chair. I don't want to do this. You know, yeah. it may, may be something for ergonomics. It may be something for uh, the... The tools, yeah. I don't want to use that tool. I've seen I a do. lot of great ideas that I didn't think would work for me. Sure. You know, so like sure. if I if I see somebody's like little trick or, or tip or something like that, it's like, oh, that that would work really good for, for this application for me. I'm totally going to start doing that. Then I see other stuff and I'm like, you know what? I don't think that's for me. That's very much yeah. what I, I like to encourage people to do is, is when you see something, instead of rejecting it out of hand without any sort of... Uh, uh, empirical evidence or, or theoretical experience with it, do a little thought experiment, you know, walk through the circuit of how could this possibly work? You know, imagine that I'm doing what this person's doing. Now, imagine I'm doing it the way I would do it. And how do those things work together? Could I do what this person's doing? Would it work for me? And, you know, if you can think through the, you know, the point where you walk into the room to the point where the person's walking out with a piece of jewelry, yeah. You know, you could probably imagine doing it a different way every single mm-hmm. time. Yeah, or, or, you know, tweaking it a little bit and, sure. and making it applicable to you so it's comfortable for you. Yeah, yeah. and that kind of comes back around to the same subject. When I walk into a, a situation with clients or w- whether it's helping other piercers or whether it's helping clients who are getting pierced, even if I'm approaching the same information, I'd like to approach it differently each time mm-hmm. because I, I think of that whole, the whole, uh, parable of the blind man and the elephant. You know, we each have our different uh, approach to things. You know, I see the tusk over here, and I can tell it's you know this thing, and I think it's a spear. You've got the tail over here. You think it's a uh, you know a broom. Uh, the person's got the trunk. They think it's a snake. Uh, if I try to change my perspective and look from the other person's view, uh, then I'll learn something about myself because maybe I'll see what I was seeing over there from a completely different means. That's a very confusing parable. It is. <laughs> In a nutshell, uh, the, the elephants. Is you, if you if you were only able to experience one part of a larger... Yeah, no, I, I get it. You're like, you know, can't see the forest for the trees sort of thing. Sure. Yeah. yeah. But basically, the, the thing to me is, is thinking through the experience and trying to figure out how to have fun with it. Right. Right. And part of that is a variety for me. Yeah. That's good, though. All right. So, uh, to wrap it up, where can people find you online? Because you have a website where people can buy different disinfectants sure. and sterilizers and things like that. Like, where do, where do people find you online? And, uh, you know, what would, what would you want to kind of drive people towards? Well, I have a, a piercers resource online, which is piercers.com just for piercers. I mean, I guess if you're a tattoo artist or a suspension practitioner, you're welcome to jump in and and uh, get information. That that breaks off onto my other sites, which are the statum.us for the US uh, sales for statum sterilizers and disinfectants and enzymes, et cetera, anodizers, uh, and uh, for Canada and for Europe and the rest of the world. And I have my own personal blog, which is my name without the vowels. It's brnskll.com. Uh, that was a gratuitous uh, idea taken from my colleague uh, Watson Atkinson. He has a, had a, a great uh, studio called uh, Blind Sight, and uh, taking out the vowels, it's Blonde Sergeant. Okay. <laughs> B-L-N-D-S-C-G. I, I thought it was funny. Um, that being said, I appreciate when people come with questions. Mm-hmm. You know, if people want to approach me, I get a lot of email and a lot of messages, and I'm thrilled to answer the questions. It's not like, oh my God, I'm going to be bothering Brian, I have this question. I'm totally happy to... Oh, yeah. Yeah, because I'm interested. There have been several occasions where I've had a problem with the sterilizer or, or whatever, and I'll shoot you a message on like Facebook or something, and it can be like three in the morning, and then within like five minutes, it's like boom, scene, and then it's like bam, like three paragraphs worth of information, and like a link to a study, and like a link to a, like a forum or like a, a like a some website or something like that. So yeah, it's pretty handy, and I think a lot of people appreciate you taking the time to help so many people out and answer questions. Oh, it's for fun. Yeah. And if I can, if I can keep, uh, keep track of things that are useful to other people and, and facilitate their experience with uh, being wonderful body artists or collectors of body art or um, just lovers of people who collect body art, I'm all, I'm all filled. Cool. Those are Those are things that I love and live every day. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks for taking a couple minutes to talk to me. My pleasure. Are you still there? 
did we melt your brain a little bit? Uh, that is kind of how I feel sometimes when I talk to Brian. He has so much information uh, that just kind of like flows from his mouth and flows from his fingertips when he's on the computer. And uh, it can be a little bit difficult to digest it. You know, I've walked out of classes that he's taught and I really, you know, have been kind of thrown for a loop. Uh, takes me a couple of weeks to, to really process all the information and definitely takes some time for me to incorporate it into my studio. And then, you know, that influences things like the classes that I teach years down the road. As far as next week's interview, I, I really think the, the best one that I could do would be uh, Christina Blossy, uh, Brian's former apprentice. Went on to eventually purchase Piercing Experience in Atlanta, Georgia, and is doing some great things with that. And she's another sharp one, so that'll be a great interview for next week. Uh, tune in, and I'll see you then. For more information about the show, visit piercingwizardpodcast.com or like Piercing Wizard Podcast on Facebook. For more info about your host, visit precisionbodyarts.com or search Ryan PBA on Facebook, Instagram, and Tumblr. If you enjoy the show, you can subscribe on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. Music by Benny B. Blanco. Show copyright 2017, Precision Body Arts, LLC. All rights reserved.